Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, we talk to John Dykstra from the Fat Stacks blog. John's been on the show a few times. One of the most popular episodes that he was on was uh, like 40K per month, right? So if you look for that title in the um, in the titles for this podcast, you'll see one of the most popular episodes of all 115 episodes of The Doug Show. In this episode today, it's kind of like a behind-the-scenes conversation that John and I maybe would have even if we weren't recording, but we did record it and we're playing it here. He inspired me because he has a pretty fantastic podcast and uh, you should check it out. We'll put a link in the description, but he has um, quite a high volume of shows out there. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's going to overtake the number of shows that I have before too long. Anyway, here are some of the topics that we we get into. John gets something like a million visitors per month across his portfolio of sites. However, he claims he's not very good at SEO. He talks about how he um, basically lost up, up to or maybe over six figures due to misleading information. We also get into some SEO tips for images. And John has a lot of um, image experience with SEO very, very helpful info. And then we talk about publishing content that really attracts links. And part of that is to use uh, stats and run studies and basically present information that is actually unique that other people want to reference. John gives some uh, very specific examples on that. couple plugs I want to give. Ezoic. So, Ezoic is a partial sponsor for The Doug Show. In this episode, is uh, brought to you in part by Ezoic. They have recently rolled out the Site Speed Accelerator, and I've been playing around with it a little bit. It greatly simplifies the like minification, um, lazy loading, improving the load order of certain pieces of your site, and generally it speeds up your site. Now, if you've never used Ezoic before, you should check it out. There's a link in the description. You can get a seven-day free trial for the SiteSpeed Accelerator. But the thing is, Ezoic is really powerful as a platform. So you could do a lot of different functionality, not just speed up your site. So you're able to test your ad placement, different types of ad, different ad networks, very powerful platform overall. So if you're looking to optimize and improve your revenue, for the same number of users, for the same number of visitors, you should definitely check out Ezoic. All right. Before I send it over to the interview, I'm going to give a quick plug. Again, check out John's podcast. It's very good. And you should also have a look at some of the different courses that he has. So there's links in the description, basically anything you want to learn related to, um, well, I'm going to say like niche sites in general, there's probably a course where um, you could take it and you're going to be able to get a lot out of it, probably improve your revenue. It's probably going to be a pretty clear ROI and it's going to be quick because John's courses are typically like um, you have a problem, a specific problem, and then that course will solve it. So for example, if you want to improve your display ad game, then there's a course for that. If you want to improve your keyword research chops, then there's a course for that as well. 
that's in great contrast to like, I only have like a couple courses and they're more, they're like more uh, all encompassing. They're longer. I drip out the content. It's very slow. You know, I mean, people like it and I do it for a specific reason, but John's giving you a quick hit of exactly what you need. It's a faster pace. You get all the content at once and it works really well. People love the courses. All right. People love the courses. I'm an affiliate. So I get a commission and, um, you know, I appreciate it if you do. And there's a 30 day like money back guarantee with John's courses. So if you check it out, you figure, Hey, you know what? This actually, um, is not for me. Then you can just shoot John an email and he'll hook you. He will hook you up. All right. So with that said, I'm going to send it over to the interview. Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here, and I'm with my good buddy, John Dykstra. How are you doing today? Hey, really well, Doug. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we're just going to have like a casual conversation. Um, I've been listening to your podcast a lot lately. You have some um, great titles, which I'm not surprised you have some good titles out there, but we're just kind of go through those things and just it's a behind the scenes sort of chat. People seem to dig these, and I like I like talking to you when we may as well get some content out of this. So for people that don't, Oh yeah. So for people that don't know you, John, just quick, quick intro. What are you, what are you up to? Uh, these days I'm, I'm basically an online publisher. I own uh, some content sites and been building them up over the years. And that's really my focus. Uh, Fat Sox is kind of a fun thing I do where I just blog about what I'm doing. Uh, it's kind of a business blog, but uh, my other sites, I think there's, about nine right now. I focus only on about four, four or five. It's nine, nine's tough. And uh, just mostly informational, a little bit of product promotion on them, but focus on informational content and just been growing them over the years. And uh, I, I just really enjoy publishing content for website visitors. Awesome. And you're a, um, a recovering lawyer, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, that about sums it up. Yeah, I practiced law for a number of years. And, uh, well, uh, this is back when websites for small business were just, just getting off the ground. And uh, so I was with a, a small firm and needed a site. So I got, got a site built. And I didn't build it. I had no clue. I didn't know any of this stuff and uh, hired a company who did it. Fortunately, I hired a really good company. And they actually suggested blogging, which was really novel at the time. And so they sort of set up the, you know, the, the basic brochure site. And they said, okay, well, we, we've got this, uh, we had this built-in CMS, which, which was at the time very progressive for like, like business site developers, and, which was essentially what WordPress was. It wasn't WordPress though. And they said, well, just blog on this. Uh, write articles about law and what your potential clients might like and and just provide a lot of information. They even said, said uh, this this was cool. They said, you know what, you guys should write a book, little books that you hand out. So I did that too uh, in, a, in our uh, practice areas that we prefer to, to focus on. And so we did this book. We did a free giveaway for visitors to the site. They signed up for it. We'd mail it out to them and uh, built up the blog and it really worked. Of course, it was quite a bit easier back then because there there was very little competition. Anyways, that's where I got the blogging uh, bug, and I, I was just having loads of fun with it, and went off into a, a different niche just for fun after that, just to see what it would do. And well, here I am today. 
Awesome. Very cool. And let's get into some of these topics. So you have uh, quite a few websites, you have a portfolio and you're getting a huge number of visitors per month. And you can share that number in a second, but you also claim that you're bad at SEO. So can you explain how you get so much traffic yet? You maybe don't feel like your skills are very good in the SEO area. Yeah, right. No, no, it's actually true. This thought came to me because I've got a, I got a buddy who who is part of an SEO agency, and I, I bounce questions off him. He's really nice. He helps me out. But I mean, this guy knows SEO, and so does he's got a partner, and he knows SEO, the, the technical stuff, the offsite stuff. They know it inside out. And I'm asking him these really simple questions, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I should really know this stuff by now, right? It's been ten years. I should know this stuff, and like, this is like SEO 101, but I don't know it. And uh, so I sort of chuckled to myself. It's like, well, you know, here I am, this publisher online, and you know, my my biggest traffic source is Google search, and I don't know the answers to these questions. And so it occurred to me, wow, you know. Uh, so, anyways, I have I don't know any given month it ranges from between one and one point three, one point four million visitors a month across my sites. Most of them to one my one really big site, and then sprinkled across the others. And so well, it occurred to me, you know, I I managed to do this with uh, without really knowing SEO, and like I don't do SEO for clients. I'm, I'm not interested in it. And so the reason I say I don't really know SEO is, well, first off, I don't really do any offsite stuff. Now, I know about it, okay? I, I mean, I, I know enough that I could probably do a lot of damage to my site. So I don't, I don't build links. I don't do a lot of promotion. Um, maybe FastAx is probably the most promotion I do, which is, uh, you, know, I, you know, I know folks like you and we chat and stuff. And, but it's not really like, oh, to just outright promote. But with my niche sites, none of that. And... So I don't do any of the offsite stuff except for the usual automated blast SEO channels, which is almost not even worth it. And then with the onsite technical stuff, like, you know, I, I have search console set up, but I, I never dig in. The, the only real reason I do that is because SEO said it's a good thing to do uh, with a site map submitted. That makes sense to me. So I get that. Uh, Fortunately, you know, there are tools to do all this stuff. I, I, I couldn't create a sitemap if, if I had to. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know how to do that. I rely on the Yoast plugin. And like on-site stuff in terms of like keyword density and, and link text to put in and, and all of these technical factors that SEOs talk about, I know nothing about. I don't read about it. I'm not interested in it. Um, so what I do is I don't fashion myself as like a niche site SEO person or any of that. Uh, I really just fashion myself as, as an online publisher. And I've been using that term more and more. Um, it's a little bit different, I think, in my mind than a blogger. I think a blog is, I mean, it's really interchangeable, but a blog is really sort of almost like a more of a personal style, like fat socks, like I kind of blog about what am I doing this week sort of thing. Uh, whereas an online publisher is more like what your online magazine type site. It could be a news site. It could be an evergreen content site. And really, I'm just a publisher providing content. And the hope is, is that the content's good enough that it will get traffic via Google. And, and that's all I do. And the most SEO I really do is I pay attention to what's working. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, these topics are working on these sites. So I do more of them related, whether it's, the, it's, a, it's a type of article that seems to be working uh, and by that, I mean like an article concept, right? Like product reviews, that's a, that's a type of article where I'll 
fairly familiar with that, or a tutorial type article. That's an article concept, or maybe it's it's topical. You know, I tend to I tend to enter really broad, large niches where there's where there's many sub niches within, and so let's say a particular topic is is performing really well. I'll look at that and go, okay, well I could really flesh that out a lot more. I could I could add another twenty articles and create this really in depth section on that. So. So that's about the extent of what I do, and, and I could do a little bit of damage with uh, HREFs and keyword research tools, and I, I suppose I become pretty adept at, at keyword research and really digging and looking for the really low competition stuff. But th- but that's about the extent of it. So you know, if you asked any SEO, if I had a five minute conversation with them, especially one who knows what they're doing, uh, they they would say, well, you you don't really know that much. And I would hundred percent agree with that. I'm okay with that. And, and I think the point is you don't need to be like an SEO expert to become a reasonably successful online publisher. I focus on the publishing, not on the SEO. Got it. And I recently met up um, with a, with a friend online. I had not met him in person, but I got to sit down and have a beer with him um, a couple months ago. And he was asking me a lot of SEO questions, um, especially like sort of cutting edge things. And I was like, I don't know. Uh, again, <laughs> it was like five or six questions where I was like, ah, you know what? I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't read blogs. I really don't consume that much information. I usually just do the same boring stuff the things that I'm good enough at. And I think that's what you're saying too. It's like, you know how to do the publishing, you know how to find content that people like, and you're not like bogged down with the things that you're probably not too interested in learning about. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you, you brought up an interesting point about not reading a whole lot. That's kind of ironic given that you publish a lot of really terrific content in this sphere. Uh, I really like it. Uh, but the reason I like yours, and, and this is a point, is that I, I'm actually fairly judicious about what I read uh, in terms of uh, like business books, which I generally typically avoid altogether. Uh, but in terms of blogs and email uh, lists and so forth, and I, I really seek out and will restrict my reading to the content that's aligns with my current strategy because I don't want to get distracted. It's so I can get distracted like literally with one email and. And it's happened. It's like, oh wow, I'm getting great results with with this, and it's it's something totally different than what I'm doing. I know nothing about it yet. What I do is I actually go and and I've wasted literally weeks going down some rabbit hole unrelated to what I'm doing. And it's it's akin to starting over, which is ridiculous because I should just stick with what I'm doing. So I now make a, a, a I've made a decision. I I, I read. Uh, blogs and email lists that are talking about what I'm currently doing. And, it, and if it's not, if they're focused, it's not that I, their stuff doesn't work or that I got a problem with it. It's just, it helps me focus to just stick with reading people doing the similar stuff to me. For sure. And to that point, um, there's a lot of misinformation. So um, you also had a story of how I think you, you wasted some, some huge amount of money from like misinformation. Can you just kind of, Give us the background on that one. Yeah. Well, when I, I used to never use display ads. Most of my revenue on my content sites are, is generated from display ads. Uh, I use various ad networks. But that wasn't always the case. I mean, I got, I got started in this uh, with, with affiliate marketing, as, as a lot of people do. And that, that made sense to me. I do, I do like the affiliate marketing model. I think it's great. It's results-oriented, and you 
basically earn what you can perform. And so, but I had read a lot of blogs that were talking about, you know, AdSense and display ads are a total waste of money. Uh, and there's way better ways to monetize a site. And I, I was, I was new. I didn't know any better. Right. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, they, they know more than me. So I never explored display ads, which was a huge mistake because I actually had sites at the time that probably would have done reasonably well with that. They were affiliate marketing oriented, but I always did like to publish non-affiliate content, like informational content. But this content would be on these, these generally these affiliate sites and they didn't, generate affiliate sales they just attract traffic and, and that's how well it get and but the problem is 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 anyone who says display ads are like the worst way to monetize a site typically they have their sites focused within the business realm particularly like the how to blog realm or how to do seo realm and, and these are great niches and there, there's a lot of, and they probably know these niches really, really well and lots of good information. But the problem is, is yeah, AdSense and display ads are, are probably not the best option for these types of niches. But for a lot of other niches, like affiliate marketing is not viable. And really your best bet is display ads. And so my point is this, is like, try different things. Just, you know, and, and, and try to understand, like if somebody says something as, as, um, uh, declaring essentially like display arts are bad. Well, try to look at why they would say that. What, what, what is their business model? And if you're doing something totally different, it's not apples to apples. And unfortunately, I, I followed that advice for a number of years. And I, I got into display ads by accident. Like it, I, I could still actually remember the, the day when I, I had this site. It was a new site. This is 2014. And I started getting a lot of traffic to it. And my intention was that it was going to be an affiliate site and because that's all I knew. And But I wasn't making a nickel on affiliate commissions despite, I don't know, I think I had like over a thousand visitors a day, maybe more. And um, back then there was like Facebook traffic was awesome. So I think it was actually quite a bit more. Facebook traffic was really easy and free and cheap if you did the ads back then. So I was doing that. And so I just decided, oh, you know what? I've got this AdSense account. I had it. I never really use it. I, and so I just threw up a couple of AdSense ads on the thing. And it made like over a hundred bucks, like within a day. And like, I just threw like two up there just without even any thought. And I thought, whoa, you know, like, okay, ditch the affiliate focus. This is going to display ads. And that's when I got into it. And I haven't looked back. And that was a big that was a big turning point in, in what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm like, this is terrific. I can publish on any topic within my niches and monetize that content. And I can focus on content that was back then like, oh, well, I could, this will probably do really well on Facebook. And so, you know, post it, you know, the hordes of traffic from Facebook and make money off that. And that, that was eye-opening. That was great. Very cool. And I, I have to admit, I'm part of the the group that gives some of that advice. So, but let me explain. So yeah, that's it. Um, I talk a lot about affiliate marketing and most of the time um, I'm giving the advice to people who maybe are getting way less traffic than you just mentioned. They're getting like maybe 15 visitors a day and they're, they have issues elsewhere and they're thinking, Hey, I should put ads on my site to squeeze a little bit more, revenue out of 15 visitors per day when 
they, they need more traffic. They need more content. They need more SEO things going on. They just need more traffic. So usually I try to encourage people to like wait until they're ready. I, I tell them some probably arbitrary number, like wait till you get a few hundred visitors a day and then go to your informational content and then put some ads there to test it out and experiment. And I know uh, several of my students right now, I think they're making about a third of their revenue from their informational post and they're using display ad networks to, you know, put ads, not everywhere, but just on those informational posts. And they're like, I wish I would have done it a little sooner, but they listened to my advice where I was like, just make sure you get the other stuff right first. You don't want to cannibalize your affiliate sales where maybe you're, you're making more money from that. Um, so yeah, I'm part of the problem, but I, I have some logic at least um, behind it. So any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, if, if you have, yeah, you definitely want to distinguish on a site. I mean, if, if I do affiliate stuff still to this day, it's not a focus, but I do it. And so if I do have a, a page on a site that's, that's generating lots of revenue from affiliate, yeah, I'll turn the ads off on that. And that makes sense. And so, yeah, you know, if you're starting a site out and it's got a lot of buyer intent content on there uh, for whether it's Amazon or some software or something like that. Yeah. I mean, obviously display ads are not your best bet because a high converting page with affiliate promotions is going to out earn display ads like all the time, right? It's just no contest. My point is, is if you'd like to publish outside of the whole buyer intent round where you're not mentioning products and not linking out, then display ads are, are your best bet. And, and, and further that is uh, when, when you look beyond buyer intent keywords, a world of keyword opportunities becomes available. And that's what I like about it. You're not hedged in with, okay, well, I'm, my site's about sneakers and I'm going to focus on, you know, just writing content that is going to promote sneakers with really high conversion rates. You're pretty limited with keywords. There's a lot, but you're still limited. And let's face it, that stuff is boring to write, like deadly boring, unless you are a real sneaker freak. Uh, but if you think more broadly, such as basketball, perhaps in general, I mean, you, you can cover the sneakers in depth and have a whole section on sneakers and do the affiliate link thing. But then you can have tons of content about basketball generally. And to me, that would be more interesting. It's like, well, if, you, if I'm into basketball, that's kind of a fun site to write, including the sneaker aspect. And then you can monetize that with display ads. Right on. And I think, yeah, you, you explained it well, so I'm not even going to try and repeat what you said. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump away from our outline just for a second here, uh, but you'll, you'll be fine. This is not completely out of left field. So I recently right. bought, bought a site and I'm, I was like migrating it over. And this morning um, I'm just having so many technical issues. Like the site's down. Like the only thing that I wanted was not have the site go down, but I'm having issues um, like migrating my backup, um, like cloning system uh, that I've used many times before. Like I'm not able to connect the FTP and, you know, DNS, fill in a bunch of other <laughs> like tech uh, acronyms there. But John, do you have any stories where you had like a tech issue and it just was so frustrating? Oh, well, yeah, I, I'm terrible at this stuff. You, you even say DNS or name servers 
And I'm just like, I use Kinsta hosting with amazing customer support. I'm just like, open it up. Uh, you got to help me out here. How do I do this? Right? Like, cause I register with GoDaddy and then I got hosting there. I got Cloudflare and it's like all supposed to be integrated. And I, to this day, I don't even know how to, I, I can barely like, it seems like starting a site is hard to get all this stuff going. So if you're, if you're frustrated getting your site going, it's driving you crazy with all this tech stuff, just, just jumble through it. Usually most, most hosts, uh, hosting companies have really good support. Or even the lower cost ones, I'm amazed at the like the live chat. Like I still have Bluehost account, and I'll hit them up on live chat when I got to deal with this stuff. They're very helpful. But probably my worst tech story is with my biggest site. Uh, this got be a couple of years ago. It was still it was doing really well then, and I got I got some sort of malware attack on this thing. Like it was totally brutal. In fact, it was it was displaying as a dot ru. Now I didn't. That's not the site, right? They basically took it over. And I could still go in there and, and deal with the content and everything, but it was somehow shown as a .ru and it was completely hacked and I had no idea what to do. Uh, and um, I, I, you know, within fairly short time after that, it was DNX from Google. Like they basically told me, search console, your site is like DNX. I'm like, whoa, I had a pretty good idea it was to hack and nothing else. So I thought, okay, well, I think I could fix this. But I was pretty, pretty nervous about that, obviously, right? So I like, I think, I think I hired Security at that point. Like they have services that can like just, you know, they got the, the freebie sort of thing, but I, I, I had to pay them. And they went in and they just cleaned the thing out. And I, I was actually really amazed because Google re-indexed it very, very quickly. I, I think I had to re- submit a review for it once security had done their thing and you, I wrote a little thing, you know, security did all blah, 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 blah. And I mean, within a week it was re-indexed, which I was really impressed about because Google is sort of known to us as like this big black hole with no customer support. You never hear anything, no matter what you ask them. And yeah, but sure enough, I mean, it was a quick response. It was re-indexed. All my rankings were, were golden. Like they, they didn't really move. So I mean, I, I feel really fortunate. I came out, as I did, but I'll tell you, the, I think it was about four or five weeks that I took, like dealing with that whole mess. I was that's by far the worst, uh, worst tech issue I ever had with a site. Um, and and these these attacks, like I, recently, I dealt with it again. It wasn't nearly as bad, but uh, BuzzFeed had a really good article recently about a lot of Word, WordPress uh, site owners are. What's happening is uh, there's some sort of attack creating these. So, so if you have a site, check it. But they're creating uh, users, admin users. And then they're going in and they're injecting outbound spam links. And they're hard to find because they usually target older content, which you wouldn't normally go and like, check. Like It's not like we go check all our content every day to make sure it's good. right? We just see what's good. And I was just doing some work on some old posts. And I found these spam links. I'm like, what's this? Right? And then I looked and I found this rogue user was created. And then I'm like, so anyways, I had to hire um, WordFence. They have, a, they have a cleanup service for that, which was very cool. And they cleaned it. They got rid of the links. They cleaned it all up. But that was a recent thing. I mean, the site didn't get de-indexed. But, I mean, who wants a bunch of – I had no idea how many spam outbound links were. I think, I think there were over 20, though, on the site. And that's not cool. So another, wow. another tech problem. These, these things never stop. Do you know um, if it was like an old plugin that had a vulnerability or do you know how they got in? Oh, probably because I'm super lazy and I don't update my stuff as quickly as I should. 
so I added managed WP to my sites, uh, which is updates everything weekly. So yeah, it's, it's my fault. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm telling you the tech stuff. I'm, I'm <laughs> irresponsible. So it was my fault, like for sure. Right. Like, um, so good word of advice. Keep, keep your stuff updated. And I installed word fence also, I guess they have additional security measures against fake users being created and so forth. Um, so far, it seems good. I use the free version. seems to be good. Cool. And another plug for uh, Manage WP. So I use them too. I think it's like $1 or $2 per month per site to have like offsite backups. You can restore it at a push of a button. So I haven't knock on wood, I haven't had any issues. And a lot of my sites are at SiteGround and they have a malware scanning add-on that I always get and it checks it. I think either it's weekly or daily, I can't remember. And if I ever have an issue, I know I can go back to manage WP and restore from the point before there was an issue. And then, I mean, things are updated as they should be. And I'm pretty lean on plugins because I know there's always a vulnerability, like the more things you have going on, like the more issues you can have. So scary. Yeah. I'm a plug-in hog. Another problem. <laughs> oh yeah. How many do you usually have like on a baseline site? 30. <laughs> I try to keep it to about 10 or 11 and usually like three of those are security in some way or another. So, yeah. um, did, yeah. did they slow your site down? I guess you're at Kinsta, so they're rocking it pretty good, right? Probably do. I, I just can't seem to let go of them. But do the same, not what I do. Keep the plugins <laughs> to a minimum. And and here's the thing. Here, here's here's it goes back to this distraction thing. You know, some cool little plugin comes out, you set it up, and then you know you deploy it across your content, and it's cool. It does what it says, but it's another plugin. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't want to get rid of it because I kind of like what it does. Now, if I would have just never bothered trying it in the first place, then I wouldn't have this problem. But that's how that's how I end up with 30 plus plugins. <laughs> gotcha. And one thing that I, I had a friend um, and he would, you know, get the functionality of a plugin, but then he was hiring a WordPress developer to like hard code it into his um, like WordPress core files or whatever so it would be i'm just going to make up the file i don't quite know it's like um main.php it's like in that file or something like that so it's hard-coded loads faster removes the the issues so that's that's interesting yeah and i've dabbled with that just a touch because i have a technical background so i've added a few pieces of code for um like for example no indexing your archive um, oh yeah, like blog role. So it's like, right. so, and that's just like two lines of code, and it runs faster. So I don't have to use a, another plugin to do that functionality. So it is dangerous, though. You can like destroy your whole site <laughs> by messing with a PHP. So I've done that too. Yeah, big um, big white wall. Uh oh. Yep, and then yeah, then the support from your hosting company comes in really handy. Yes. All right, let's shift gears into more like SEO kind of thing. So this is something I know that you're good at. So um, image SEO, a few of your sites have quite a few images. So can you give us like the top 
couple things that you can suggest that a lot of people maybe miss with image SEO? Yeah, I do use a lot of images. Um, so filling out the alt text field very descriptively, I think helps a lot. And don't try to manipulate, like, you know, don't, don't just put in keywords that aren't related to the image. I just describe the image. That's it. I just, here's the image. Here's what it, here's what it's about. Um, so that's number one, obviously like optimize them so that they're, they're pretty small files. Like when I started with an image site, I was uploading like images that were 5,000 pixels wide and like two megabytes, which was insane. And it would take forever to load. And I wonder why, why doesn't my site load fast? Anyways, I, you learn, right? So now I, you know, I, I resize everything no bigger than a thousand pixels wide and optimize them down to like 150, 200 kilobytes. Even that's probably a bit big. Uh, the latest development with image MSCO, which I like is WebP format for images. Uh, it doesn't work in Safari, but for Chrome and I think Firefox, it shows up. These That format loads images really fast and you can get WebP with like short pixel plugin. I think Imageify also does the same. Uh, Ezoic has a site speed thing. They they will do WebP format. So there's lots of there's lots of options to do that. Um, but and and basically they can actually turn existing images into that format. They load faster. It seems to be the the latest format. So that that's a big one. Uh, and I've done that across all my sites. Uh, in terms of um, you know some images, I like images because especially on visual sites because they can attract a lot of links. Uh, mainly because people rip them off and then source link it. So that, that's worked out well in terms of link building because other people just take them. I don't care. Uh, they can have them. Uh, in terms of, um, you know, an another question I get asked a lot is, uh, I hate left and right aligning. Uh, back when there was only desktop, it was great, right? You could you could do these nice, you know, left aligned 300 pixel wide image and then text would wrap around it and look cool and all that. Don't do that. Uh, with mobile, it makes a total mess. What you end up with is you end up with like a real thin strip of text on the right or, you know, on tablet, who knows what it looks like. Uh, so these days what I do is I just go full size, like it, it, on desktop, it's the full width of the column, which is usually like anywhere from like 700 to 800 pixels. And then in mobile, it'll take up the full the full width as well. You don't get any of that weird text wrapping. Uh, I think those days are done. It's, uh, I do the same with ads, by the way. I don't align ads left or right. I just like go center and full width. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Use them, use images, I think. Uh, don't steal them though. Uh, copyright trolls are out there in force and get use use the stock image sites take your own photos that's that's the best thing to do i'm telling you if you if you're into like like i know doug you do uh amazon affiliate stuff buy the products you're writing about and you can literally take 30 images of your own i use a, i use an iphone they're, they're not the best images in the world i'm certainly not a pro photographer but i'll take them and they're good enough and i think they do two things first off you get a lot of unique content but second of off your readers see it's like Oh, this person actually has the product and used the product and here are the images because they're not like the nice fancy professional photos from the merchant on Amazon. So I do that quite a bit as well. 
Uh, I love being able to use my own photos, but stock photo sites are great. I use Shutterstock, but there's some free ones out there. Very cool. And I learned something here, which is obvious, um, the right aligning or left aligning of images. So I still do that a little bit, but yeah, you're hundred percent right. I definitely have seen it where I have poorly formatted for like a phone or just a different display that's not like super wide. So I kind of remember to <laughs> change that. And then, um, yeah, another note for the, like not custom images, but images that you have taken yourself. Um, I think iPhones are pretty darn good these days. I mean, they're way better than like the cameras that I had that were very expensive, you know, 10 years ago. And, um, if you can get the lighting, um, like right usually your picture is going to be pretty darn good and it looks authentic it looks real people are trust or people will trust your content a little bit more if they're like oh they have the you know product right there so yeah. very good and for me like i, I guess you you've done some uh like some video and you have like camera gear and all this stuff like i just like the gear too and i like to take picture. So it's kind of a fun way to actually like mix the hobby with, uh, you know, a way to make money and it all works together well. So. Yeah. If you're into it, it's, it's great. Lucky you. I, I, I'm not particularly into the, into the gear, but, uh, I have no choice but to be. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what is it that you don't like? Just curious. Uh, figuring it out. Um, I'm not very good at reading instructions. I don't like trying to figure out new stuff. And then, you know, all the different, the, the post-production stuff, the editing. And it's very, very time-consuming, tedious. Uh, I don't care for any of it. Um, I, I like writing. You know, I got into this because I like writing. I, I wrote all my stuff for years. Uh, I still like writing. I still write. Uh, but I realize that podcasts and videos are enormously popular and and so i gotta play ball but at the end of the day I, for me it's writing i like to write so very good very good okay and we'll we'll shift gears into the last topic here and this is about how to use simple statistics to publish fascinating link bait type articles so basically um you're you've come up with a way to get links um, in a very natural way. So can you, can you kind of explain the concept and then maybe any like just generic examples if you, if you can come up with one? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, love, I love statistics and facts, and I try to put them in a lot of content, and I instruct writers that I hire to do that. And they're so easy to find. They're all over. The, they're all over. Um, one of my favorite sites is, the, I think it's statista.com. Uh, check that out. That thing is a goldmine i'm probably going to pull the trigger in and subscribe to that but when I mean, they have statistics and data on anything you could imagine uh but you know like you can you can often like look at a like a company's financial report uh, they come out every or annual report loads of information with interesting stuff whatever it, it's all out there anyways i mean you, you find an interesting statistic and or a, a data point and you try to use it as a foundation for an interesting article. So for instance, uh, what did I, what did I read recently? Something about, um, I don't know how many billions in Nike shoes are sold every year. And, you know, you could, you could take that and use that as a foundation for an article or just as part of an article. And, or you can, 
compile a bunch of statistics if they're related into tables and create cool charts. And this will also attract links. The whole point is, is that uh, people, other website publishers like to do this and they will source various statistics. I, I typically source with a link Statista or wherever I get, I get this information uh, with a link. Um, but I, I just find that you can add a lot of engaging and link worthy content if you get some interesting statistics and data. And I use them quite a bit. And here, here's, here's the best uh, data you can get. Uh, you need traffic for your site, but put polls on your site. And like, it can be like, you know, those hot or not things, <laughs> you know, where it's like, you, you basically you could have like, compare two things, right? Like, do you like uh, Nike or Adidas? That's it. That's the question. Click, click the button. And let's say you get 300 responses. You now have a really good data set, right? Like you can say, okay, well, uh, uh, mysite.com readers love Nike way more than Adidas. Here's the chart. Here's the information. It's a data set and it's legitimate and it's good. And it's, that would be a primary source. You don't have to reference anything. And guess what? You might, if you put it, if you put it up in a nice little, uh, little chart or table or, or bar graph or something, uh, somebody might take that and put it on their site and link to you or just link to you. And it's stuff like this that can help really build up your authority of your site. Great idea. I've heard of like similar sort of, uh, I guess, statistical um, gathering. So like you said, you have a primary source. Other people are going to be interested. News sources may be interested, right? If it's sort of a hotter topic, um, you can get cited, maybe even get an interview. I'm making a lot of leaps here, but I mean, if you do a few of these, the chances go up. So, and do lots of them. I mean, let's, cool. how hard is it? Again, you need traffic, unfortunately, but I mean, you know, a lot of people listening to and watching this are going to have traffic to their sites, put up polls. And if you have categories on your site, create different polls for different categories that would resonate with your visitors and let it run for a month then go check out the data. So if you've got 10 polls running and ultimately you're going to end up with enough data points or responses to actually create a, a good chart, you now can put 10 charts out on your site. And let's say each one of those in the next three months gets one link back to your site. Basically for no cost and almost no time, you've been able to get 10 backlinks to your site. If probably from good sites, right? Because these are sites that are creating good content and they're actually referencing you. So they're legit. They probably have real traffic. These are the golden links. And if you had to, outsource or pay for those links via guest posting or whatnot, well, 10 of those would probably cost you north of two to $3,000, maybe more. It is a no-brainer. and but, but it's a numbers game, right? You just got to put the stuff out there. Like, don't do one poll with one chart and expect that you're going to get 1,000 inbound links. It's not going to happen. But you put out 100 charts, and over the, the months, you're going to attract inbound links. And they're free and it's almost no time. And plus you, you provide really good content on your site. So do you have like these running on some of your very high traffic sites, like kind of all the time, just because there's so many visitors? On and off. Yeah. It's uh, like, I get inspired. I do a bunch and then I create them and then I, I will put them out there. 
and then I'll kind of stop and then I'll, I'll do it again. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've got probably like hundreds in my uh, poll creation account, but like with thousands of responses, I haven't even published them all yet. I mean, um, I, I got to get to it, but they're, they're there and the data is there and it's just another opportunity to put out really good content. I, I do a lot quite a few other things in terms of creating what I call link bait uh, content. So that's just one of them. There's quite a bit of others that I, that I'm doing right now. Uh, basically link bait content is creating content that is both really good, but also seems to attract a lot of links. That's where the images come in, but particularly like, like images or screenshots of charts and graphs and data. Uh, illustrations are, are golden. Like you can get custom illustrations on which, which is actually where I'm focusing right now. I'm doing like literally dozens of really, really cool custom illustrations. These things get ripped off in droves uh, and then all the links come back to my site, but they take two to three weeks to create a full-time graphic designer. But one of those can actually really knock it out of the park with, uh, I don't even have to, I don't even have to do outreach. Like, you know, the usual infographic, you know, Oh, I got this cool infographic. You got to contact a thousand people, put it on your site and link to me. I mean, like, I tried that and it was a total bust. So now I just create really cool illustrations within a niche and people just take them and they don't ask, they take, that's cool. That's why it's there. Take it and link to me. That's uh, those are awesome tips, especially for the, you know, like link building for the non link builder like that. Maybe you can use that as a title for something, John, if you want to. Because I think that's pretty good a title, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it is. You, gotta, you gotta maybe spice it up a bit. I'm not sure. You won't believe number five or something like that. Um, well, John, thanks a lot for your time today. Um, people could find you at, at Fat Stacks. You have a podcast. Any anything else uh, that you want people to check out to go find you? Uh, Fatstacksblog.com is the best place to see what I'm doing. Uh, I've got access. I've got a variety of uh, courses that cover all, they're broken up really into very topical uh, areas. So there is one specifically on the whole link building for non-link builders. It's not that title, but cover cover everything. Um, newsletter, podcast, yeah, fatsucksblog.com. Awesome. Thanks a lot, John. Hey, thanks, Doug. Thanks again to John. Definitely check out his blog, Fat Stacks blog. And he does income reports, super interesting. And you can see like all his all his revenue, all his expenses. He doesn't hold anything back. And um, they're quite interesting. So I encourage you to check them out. And you can see um, like a lot of detail into his business. Now he doesn't share the sites or anything like that, but it's still very interesting to see like that level of detail. All right, I have been teasing everyone with uh, like new interviews that I'm going to be publishing. So I do have one coming up. It's going to be um, next Monday, right? So if you're listening to this episode now, it'll be in a week. And uh, it's with Carl Jensen, and he is a financially independent uh, like individual in my area here. And uh, he works at the same uh, like co-working space. And then like I, I've hung out with him a little bit. So he's a, he's a good dude. And the cool thing is he retired at age 43. He was a uh, like a software developer kind of guy. And basically one day he was like, you know what? I want to 
retire early. This is super stressful and I'm not enjoying myself. And um, he decided I'm going to retire within 1500 days here. He did the math, did some research, of course, a little bit, a little bit more detailed and nuanced, right? But um, we get into all those details and I have a it's a fantastic episode, very excited about it. And I'm hoping it will mark, you know, now that I'm saying it out loud and other people are hearing it, I hope it will mark a little bit of an inflection point for this podcast, for the YouTube channel, and just the topics that we are covering. It is my observation that, you know, through the thousands of emails that I've received from listeners like you, viewers from YouTube, blog readers, and, uh, you know, just random people, basically, when you're wanting to earn a little money on the side and so that you have a little bit more freedom with your time and people, you know, they want to quit their jobs. They want to do something different. Most of the time you don't want to just sit idle. I mean, if you're so ambitious that you want to start a side hustle and you're, you're working hard, then uh, most likely if you are financially independent, you will continue doing a thing because It's fun to work on projects. It's fun to learn. It's fun to be challenged and figure out solutions to problems. And I mean, the financial independence movement is people that want to figure out how to not have a job so that they can do what they want. So I realized that I'm in this weird little uh, subset of a group where it's uh, affiliate marketing primarily. But um, niche sites in general and making money online is a subset of people who are interested in side hustles. A lot of people that are interested in side hustles are interested in financial independence. And um, it's all the same kind of folks. It's just we come at it from different angles. So like I said, I'm hoping this will be an inflection point where I can talk to other people like Carl. Turns out there's a handful of folks that hang out in my co-working space. Well, it's not mine. But um, it's the one that I go to and um, they're financially independent. And every now and then we go out on uh, like hikes on a random Thursday. So I, I mentioned that before, but I mean, there's like a, there's a Slack channel and it's like Thursday hiking, right? So that, that's the day <laughs> that we do things sometimes. And it's pretty cool because number one, um, a lot of the people do understand like the side hustle movement. A lot of people actually know what I'm talking about with affiliate marketing and they're interested in a lot of the, you know, things that we talk about here on the show. So in fact, next week, I'm going to be actually, well, if you're listening to this right now, it'll be in a couple of days, but I'm doing an SEO talk. It'll be very small and intimate at the co-working space because some people do have websites or they're interested in like improving website traffic to you know, some project that they're going to work on. But primarily it's people with websites. The other cool thing is they're interested in podcasting and they're interested in YouTube and a lot of the other stuff that I'm doing. So I'll be able to, you know, share my knowledge with the other people at the co-working space and, you know, get get practice speaking in front of crowds, which I think of, you know, for the longtime listeners. That's kind of one thing that scares me a lot. And I'm interested in, in trying to do that. Talk in front of crowds. It's so scary, you know. It's so scary. But most people, you know, in the crowd, they don't want you to fail. And luckily, I've been talking a lot in the last couple of years. So usually, I should have something to say. 
and they're there to listen to me anyway. All right. So that should be super cool um, coming up. And we actually recorded um, the episode just a couple days ago and I videoed it. So it'll be coming out on YouTube as well. The other cool part is we recorded it at the Mr. Money Mustache headquarters, which is the co-working space that, that we, uh, we work at. And it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool space. They're working on improving it. And, um, if you're not familiar with Mr. Money Mustache, by the way, do yourself a favor, set aside a little time, Google it, and it will potentially change, uh, your outlook on money and retiring and saving. I'm not like a, a super, a super fanboy or anything like that. It gets weird. Um, if, if you, if you do that and then you meet the people in person. Um, but I was a casual observer. Um, but anyway, Pete, that's the guy's name, Mr. Money Mustache, just a regular dude. His name's Pete. So it's that space. And that's where I recorded at. Um, that's where Carl and I recorded. So it's a really fun interview. Carl's super interesting. And, I was able to uh, ask a bunch of questions like the pure interview was over like an hour and five minutes long, I think. And then I realized I had like 15 more topics that I wanted to talk to Carl about, but didn't get a chance to bring it up. Carl's blog is 1500days.com and he tracks his net worth. He started tracking his net worth like back in the day, right when he started, which I guess was, um, or when he started the blog, of course, because he decided that he wanted to retire. So he's been retired for a few years and, um, he loves it. (laughs) He loves it. I don't want to give too much away from the episode, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that we were house hunting and we were putting an offer on the place. And I, you know what? I can't remember all the detail that we went through, but we ended up looking at uh, a lot of places. Some are good, some are bad. This market here in the Boulder County area of Colorado is kind of bananas. I think there's probably a lot of places in the country that are like that, where a good place has like multiple offers the first weekend that's that it's on the market, sometimes like the day that it's put on the market. So we were experiencing some of that. We think some investors were going around and putting like full price cash offers out there and any good place or reasonably good place had an offer before we even had a chance to look at it. And then like a week or two later, it would fall out of contract. So we're pretty sure that's what was going on. It was a little, it makes you feel weird because you're you're thinking, hey, we're missing out. We have to put an offer immediately on a place, but we're trying to be patient. There's a lot of places coming on the market these days. So we we had an offer out and we went through the inspection and eventually we didn't like what we saw in the inspection. It honestly wasn't too, too bad, but it was a little was a little too much um, for my wife. The the home was about 20, we'll just say 25 years old. So not super old, but it was at the state where it needed like a new heating and uh, air conditioning HVAC system there and probably a new roof. Some of the, you know, outdoor um, areas were in a little bit of disrepair. I think an older lady lived there for a while and maybe you know, she just didn't keep it up so much. 
it was an unfinished basement, so some room for improvement. But funny thing, in that basement, there were like all these uh, like dead spiders down there. So it was a little, it was kind of weird. There were all the all these dead spiders, and the inspector, um, he was he was thinking maybe there was like a predator, like a, a predator spider, like a black widow going around killing these wolf spiders. Cause there were, there were like a hundred plus and they were sort of gathered in like these corners. I thought maybe they just sprayed poison or something like that. Some kind of, you know, spider killer stuff. There were a bunch of like, um, like egg, egg sacks down there. Hopefully no one's freaked out from spiders. I'm usually not too, um, like if I see a spider, I'm not like freaked out or anything. And seeing the dead spiders didn't bother me, but seeing all the egg sacks, um, I was like, well, you gotta, you gotta get rid of those. You know, those, that's not great to see. There's like thousands of like little spiders ready to come out and crawl over the place. And there were probably like, you know, a dozen of those little sacks. So anyway, that was a little weird, kind of spooked my wife. And, um, yeah, so there were a handful of upcoming fairly high priced expenditures. So, we walked away from that one and we actually found a, you know, a better place. Like, um, like you can imagine when you're struggling to find the place that you're looking for and you're, you're just finding not shitholes, but places that are more fixer upper, you want to avoid the money pits. And we were having a tough time finding like the kind of place we were looking for with the right size. Cause we don't have kids. We don't need a huge place. We don't want to go up and down stairs all the time. I think I've mentioned I'm like a 70-year-old man trapped in a this uh, young 40-year-old man's body. But but basically, I'm like, you know, we want a ranch. We want certain things. And it was hard to find that in the area that we're looking for that wasn't a piece of shit. And also had like a reasonable price. So basically... The only place, the only thing you could do is get a place that's a little more expensive, which kind of flies in the face of uh, some of the stuff that we'll be talking about with uh, Carl and financial independence and that sort of thing. But the good part is I think we found a place that's going to be pretty nice and we are going to be able to make it work with the schedule that we um, need to get out of the apartments in. I'm not sure if I ended that sentence right. I just kept adding words on the end. I want to give a shout out to uh, my man, Levy. So when he heard me talking about um, house hunting, he was like, hey, I really want to help you out. And um, he sent 10 different items about um, purchasing a home, which um, it was super nice. And I'm not sure if I said that it was my first home or anything like that. It's not. I've purchased a few places and kind of had... I got kicked in the balls in uh, 2005 when I purchased my first home. So I've kind of been around the block a little bit here. So I would say I'm cynical, jaded, and I don't trust anyone. Levy had, uh, and it's spelled like Levi, but he told me that it's Levy. All right. So hopefully I'm pronouncing it right. Here are the 10 things. He says, it's great you're working with a real estate agent. And I'll leave it, I will comment on each one of them as we go. This could have been a standalone episode, but I'm just going to keep going here. All right. So it's great that you're working with a real estate agent. I don't trust real estate agents, but I found an awesome one who is, I didn't know how um, like well-known she is. I think I'm going to bring her on the podcast. She verbally said that she would be on the podcast with me. So hopefully she'll, she'll do it. I think so. I think she'll do it. 
But um, yeah, I didn't know that she was a big deal. She's a big deal. Um, so anyway, I trust her. Um, I, I found her through the co-working space as well. And uh, she's a great lady. I'm really glad to be working with her. But in general, I was trying to figure out how to not work with a real estate agent. And I sold my last place because I didn't want to work with a real estate agent. Moving on, that's another topic for another day. All right, number two, in order to avoid paying PMI, that is private mortgage insurance, you should put 20% down. Uh, Levy said no one told them that when they got their place, so they had to pay um, the mortgage insurance. So basically, you know, save up your cash, put at least 20% down. And this is a 2.0 thing because I, like I said, I've been around the block and I've made a shitload of mistakes. So... If you put 25% down, there's a high likelihood that you're going to get a lower interest rate. So if you can put a little bit more down, do it. Yes, you may not be making as much money if, as if you were to like leave that money invested, but there's trade-offs everywhere. And if you have to, you have to look at the pure numbers there. So if you could, if you can get a lower interest rate by putting 5% more down, it may or may not be helpful. All right. Um, Levy then says, take a 30 year fixed mortgage. Okay. So that's fine. He says, make sure there's no penalty to pay it off faster. Yep. You should always check that. And basically you can like pay down the principal ahead of time. Let's say I sell a website and I want to, you know, instead of investing it, I want to pay down the mortgage. I could just write a check, say it's for principal. And I'm only working with mortgage companies that have such a uh, loan for me. All right. Um, Levy also says, ask the seller to buy you a home warranty for a home, a whole year. It's normal practice in the real estate world. Sure. You could do that. But my experience is those fucking <laughs> home warranties hardly cover anything. So in my opinion, they're just kind of a waste. So sure. Maybe it buys you peace of mind, but when I tried to get them to cover anything, it was like, they didn't cover shit. So I, I didn't find a home warranty valuable at all. Maybe other people do. Maybe it was a shitty warranty or something like that. But I, I didn't really appreciate the warranty that I had. But if you went to negotiate a home warranty, they're not super expensive. Usually, they're like a few hundred bucks. He then says, shop around for the best mortgage rates. He says, I hope you have a credit score above 740. And I do. I have a credit score over 800. Even though I have a foreclosure in my past. That's another story for another day. And... um because <laughs> I, I now in my life enjoy negotiating. So yes, I'm shopping around with different mortgage companies. And the thing is, like you may feel like, hey, it's kind of a pain in the ass because um, you have to submit different forms and blah, blah, blah. Um, yes, that's true. There's no way around it. You have to, especially if you're self-employed like me, I have to submit um, you know, previous taxes for the last couple of years and you have to submit uh, bank statements and blah, blah, blah. But it's just... You know, that's what you have to do. So once you gather all that, it's pretty straightforward to apply to other mortgage companies, even though you may have to go through some other web portal to submit that information. One of the lenders that I was talking to, that I am talking to, mentioned, um, like, if you're a Costco member, you may be able to get a better rate and get some uh, improved, uh, like, I guess, title work, basically. And Levy mentions that, too, that you get a, potentially get a better rate from Costco which I had no clue. And a couple of the other things are, uh, yeah, we got four more. 
So stick with me here. Levy says, ask the lender to provide you with a good faith faith estimate so you can see the charges for closing. You can negotiate the charges. All right. So good faith estimate. Sure. That's like, I mean, you should get that. If you're working with an agent who is like mildly competent, they should be helping you out. Um, You say you can negotiate the charges. Yes. So not only can you negotiate the charges um, with like the lender, but you can negotiate with the real estate agent too. So I did that and you know, you, your mileage may vary, but you can say, Hey, we don't want to pay you 3%. We want to pay you something different. And then you could see what they'll do. And if you um, check with multiple real estate agents, I guarantee you someone will play ball further, you know, call back to me selling our place in Bozeman. If you sell your place, um, you can, you know, number one, you save 3% on the seller's um, agent fee. Number two, you don't have to pay the buyer's agent. You probably should to get some people in the door, but you can negotiate the rate that you pay them. So instead of paying them the normal 3% rate, you could pay them, you know, 2% or one or whatever you want. Like you're the boss. You could say, yeah, I'll pay a commission. It's going to be uh, like 1.5%. So I negotiated and I think it was the 1.5%. I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll pay a fee here's what it's going to be. And, you know, they can negotiate or not to go negotiate or whatever. I knew that the, the person that was going to um, look at the house who eventually bought the house, they'd been looking for a long time. She was looking some, for something really specific. So I knew that the agent wanted to move on and just, you know, finish the transaction. Next, Levy says you should do a home inspection by a third party, even if you're buying a new construction home. So I haven't ever purchased a new construction home, but a third party um, is usually good, right? Third parties are usually good. Um, Next, Levy says, uh, be calm during the process. Sure. I say be calm, you know, for almost everything. I agree. And last, look at as many houses as possible so you can compare and gain insight on what's out there. I don't agree with that. You should not look at as many places as possible. (laughs) That will lead to decision fatigue and you will freak out. There's just way too many homes to make that worthwhile. You should probably look at like a range and then slowly refine your process. Slowly distill it down to exactly what you're looking for. So if you know, I want a yard and I I definitely went there to be a fence. Like don't waste your time looking for stuff or looking at homes that aren't going to help you like figure out um, or sorry, don't waste your time looking at homes that are not going to work out for you. And I don't think that's what you're saying, but I mean, you literally said, look at as many houses as possible. That is not what you should do. In my opinion, Levy, um, I think in another email said that he's a long-term investor. He's bought multiple places. So, um, if you're doing that, perhaps you do need to look through everything. I think, um, at least in my like family situation too, like looking at too many places would be a nightmare. It wouldn't be fun and it actually wouldn't help the decision-making process at all. It would not help us be calm either. <laughs> so that is, um, that's my opinion on it. And then the part B of point number 10 is once you enter the house, you will know it's yours right away. Um, So I I don't agree with that either. And that is coming from, remember at the beginning of this, I said, 
I'm jaded. I got kicked in the balls a couple times by real estate. So I'm a little more, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of places that'll probably like work out, but I don't think there's like a soulmate house for me or anything like that. Um, I think there's a lot of places where I'm like, Hey, I'm flexible. This works. There's pros and there's cons. And I think some people can fall in love with a place and they walk in and they're like, we have to get this place. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy at all. So um, with that said, I hope that was kind of interesting. Levy um, took the time to share his knowledge. And I think uh, because I come from the the jaded area, but I wish someone would have told me some of those things when I bought my first place. And um, actually, (laughs) if I didn't buy that place, then um, I'd probably be like way better off financially. I mean, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. But um, yeah, if I didn't buy that very first place, holy cow. I mean, at at the time that I bought my first house, I was renting a little basement apartment. It was like a one bedroom with like a mini kitchenette. And for the people in Atlanta, it was in Virginia Highlands. So it was maybe like three quarters of a mile from like the um, some of the more happening places. So it was pretty close. You wouldn't want to walk, um, but a couple late nights where we had too much to drink, we did walk back to my place. But uh, the point is, it was like five twenty. No, it was like five hundred bucks a month, um, all utilities included. And I mean, I sh- I could have lived there for a couple years and really saved some money. Like looking back, um, of course uh, that was a long time ago. Nothing we could do about it now. But holy cow. I had some pretty pretty low rent and low expenditures at that point. I was working um, down at the like down in Midtown, so it was just a few minute drive. The Highlands were right there. There was a lot of cold beer, and uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun back then. So anyway, I'm gonna stop rambling here. Be sure to look out for that episode with uh, Mister Fifteen Hundred Carl Jensen. And, um, yeah, if you're curious to hear his story, you can Google him. You'll find his blog. You can get a little preliminary, um, bit of the story. And he's done a few, um, like interviews and panels and speaking at places like, uh, FinCon. And I think there's a a few other like fairly significant gatherings out there that he spoke at. So, I'm super fortunate to uh, have been able to like make his acquaintance and and become his friend and then trick him into coming on to the Doug show. So that's coming out soon. Everybody have a great day out there. We'll catch you on the next episode. 